Well, what's up, you beautiful people? This is Gary Horn, and this and this is the NWA. And you know what it is. It's a podcast, and we celebrate the NWA. Easy enough, right? But this is a special bonus episode in our journey to try to produce as much content as we can for you guys. Uh, I have uh, scoured the internet, and I found this other podcast. I'm just kidding. It's my other podcast. It's called the Psychotronic Film Society at Psychotronic Pod. And over there, we discuss movies and the legacy of cult and genre movies. I think it's a lot of fun. It's my other passion besides wrestling. And I think you guys, everybody loves movies. Who doesn't love movies? So what I thought I would do in this episode, or maybe for a couple episodes, we're having a WrestleMania month over there with WrestleMania still going on as planned. You're in the wrestling spirit. There's not a lot of new content. So maybe you go back and you start checking out wrestling movies. Well, in this episode, is a bonus episode presented over there, but I'm bringing it over here for you guys to hear. And it's about the infamous Hulk Hogan film, No Holds Barred. I'm sure you guys have seen it. And this is a complete story about No Holds Barred. Uh, from, and it's covered from the view of Hulk Hogan, which I thought would be very relevant to a wrestling podcast. Also, we get into a lot of discussion about the National Wrestling Alliance and guys like Stan Hansen, who are also in the movie. So it felt like it was a perfect fit for over here. I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you do dig it, maybe you'll go over and subscribe to the Psychotronic Film Society as well. Even better, by the way, as you've heard, we are sponsored now by Manscaped.com. I can't say enough good things about these people, and especially during a hard time like this where they're trying to help us keep the podcast going. They're trying to keep their business going and they're trying to help keep you going with everything getting wild and out of control outside in the real world, the one thing you can help control for yourself is inside and uh, in your pants. So you want to make sure you're doing that. I'm talking about using their lawnmower 3.0 with its skin safe technology, its quiet stroke technology, and that ceramic blade. What I'm talking about, this thing is the quietest 7,000 RPM motor you've ever heard in your entire life. And it will trim and take care of everything downstairs with no nicks or cuts. It's a beautiful thing. And they being the beautiful people that they are they have sponsored both us here and they sponsor the psychotronic pod so had to mention them right here if you guys haven't heard already it's a good company and they donate a lot of money to testicular cancer and that sort of stuff too so you know i love people that give back these guys definitely do that same thing so i just need you to go over to manscape.com and check them out maybe you don't want to drop the money on a blade right this second but you can check out a lot of other stuff they got deodorants lotions all kinds of stuff it's very nice just go to manscape.com and enter the code either nwa pod that's nwa pod or if you want to represent the psychotronic film society you could put in pfs for psychotronic film society pfs 20 Either one of those codes, we've arranged it, that it will give you 20% off anything, anything in the entire store, and it will give you free shipping. So please go check them out. Check us out. All of that stuff. Let us know if you like stuff like this, like the bonus episode. Uh, you, my DMs are open to you guys. I got nothing but time, and I think you probably don't either. So we can have conversations about these things. If you think this is a crappy idea, let me know too. If you hate Manscaped, I don't know why you would, 
but you can let me know that too. Anyway, I, I won't waste any more of your time. Please enjoy this episode. It's a lot of fun to talk about Hulk Hogan, the movie No Holds Barred. If you haven't seen it in a while, it's available for streaming almost everywhere. I think it's on Hulu for free right now, if I'm not mistaken. But just go check it out. And uh, yeah, well, thanks. And again, I am at This Is Gary Horn. My co-host on that show is at Justin underscore Bishop. This show is at the NWA pod on all the social medias and at Psychotronic Pod for the other show. Please give it a listen. Let me know what you think. I can't wait to hear. Without further ado, here it is. No holds barred. beer which is a smoked lager oh duh well i don't know if you're ready or not but i am so well hello and welcome to the psychotronic film no, i didn't know, we, I didn't know we had hit record <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast celebrating the uh legacy of cult and genre cinema i am one of your co-hosts gary horn hey i'm co-host justin bishop coming to you live from the quarantine me and gary are not quite six feet apart you should back up okay back up sit over there i'm gonna sit that's closer. But I'm also facing in a different direction than you're facing. Mm, I don't think it matters. But that weird thing you were doing when we first what started out where we co- had to put our mouths together and breathe heavily. Well, that's just our that's our typical warm-up. I wasn't thinking. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> probably not advised right now. No, I mean, but if you face the other direction, I don't know. I'm not completely facing the other direction. I will straddle... My leg. I mean, what if you, if I'm just saying, but you're right, we, we should practice good social distancing, yeah. as should you all. Yeah. Because uh, it's a very serious matter that I'm probably going to make inappropriate jokes about. That's all right. That's all we can do is make inappropriate jokes about <laughs> it at this time, Gary. Uh, welcome to our brand new series. We're going to call it Wrestlemania. Uh, you know, we had an idea when we started planning these episodes several months ago, a couple of months ago, I guess. Uh, we had decided we wanted to do a wrestling theme series. We've been wanting to do a wrestling theme series for a long time on the show. And we're like, you know what? We're finally going to do it. We're going to do a couple of wrestling themed episodes and we're going to co- have them coincide with the, uh, with the airing of WrestleMania this year. And then this damn virus came and just screwed everything up. And now is WrestleMania still happening or is it still happening in an empty arena or supposedly I mean, the last happening. update I've seen is they're going to film everything over like a week and just release it in like two days taped or something over like the that. course of two days. 
Yeah. Like as episodes or? I think as episodes, not like it's going to last 48 hours. That would be too long. <laughs> That's too much. <laughs> Although if people are stuck wrestling. at home. <laughs> I guess they might be into it. <laughs> but who knows, man? Who who knows what's going to happen? I've seen like little clips of their SmackDown episodes they've been doing from the empty arena. and It's awkward. And it's awkward. I watched <laughs> the one with John Cena and Bray Wyatt, but somebody had put Twin Peaks music in the background, so it made it a lot more entertaining. It's funny, too, when you watch like. I saw the Undertaker one. Look or, for a clip of Michael Cole. It's like sometimes you could tell hey, he's very seriously considering social distancing, but the other wrestlers that like come down to the commentary position, like he's the only one, and then it's like other wrestlers come yeah. down and will sit with him for a little while, and they do not apparently. <laughs> As you can see, like Cole, like try to like lean away from them. Oh man, <laughs> they should just give him a separate desk, give him a little like bubble to sit in. Yeah, it's uh, it's very weird. But uh, Vince McMahon's the kind of guy who I don't think believes in being sick, and I think I've heard stories where he's claimed he's never been sick. And um, that's probably not true. He or else he's the guy from uh, Unbreakable. And oh man, he's Bruce Willis. Yeah. So water will fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, he. I don't know, man. It's just weird. Like the, the every story you hear of him, like if you're in the conference room with him and you sneeze or cough. He like hates you immediately. Oh, how like, dare! That's a weakness. How yeah, dare it's you? It's a sign of weakness. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> what, what they piece say. Of shit. <laughs> he is such a piece of shit. We'll talk more about that later because today we are, uh, regardless of whatever the status of WrestleMania might be, we're still going forward with our wrestling series. And today we're going to talk about a classic. Uh, a classic's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty classic if you're like a big wrestling fan. I guess so because it was the, the first, technically the first movie that the WWE at the time WWF ever produced. Yeah, uh, but we're going all the way back to the '80s to talk about a movie that sort of encompasses everything that people love and maybe didn't love about 1980s wrestling. Uh, we're talking about 1989's No Holds Barred. Are you looking for a little escape? Want to see something you don't see every day? Are you ready for a whole new Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan is ripped. To the world, he's a hero. But to this man, he's history. Zeus. Stand back. Way back. Get ready for the battle no ropes can hold. No ring. No referee. No rules. Gentlemen, it's time. No holds barred. This is an unprecedented display of strength and determination. So, this is sort of... Can, we could consider this a tie-in episode for your other podcast, right? Sure. Might as well give a cheap plug right here. Yeah, I do uh, another podcast. It's called uh, This is the NWA. It's uh, at the NWA pod on all the things. But it's mostly about the National Wrestling Alliance, which is a little different than the WWF. But they uh, do feature some similar 
wrestlers from time to time. But back in the day, they weren't too dissimilar back in the early days of the WWF. Yeah, I mean, WWF technically broke out of the NWA. So, right. uh, and there's a guy in here like Stan Hansen, who's, uh, I forget what his name is, like Bubba or something. In this movie? Yeah. He's in it? He's the guy who uh, is uh, the brother that's the badass in the no-count bar. The guy who's taking a shit when those <laughs> two... A bunch of tady wangers. <laughs> In fact, if you Google, and I did, uh, Stan Hansen, No Holds Barred, to try to find out anything about it, the very first thing that pops up is a YouTube clip that's called Teeny Wangers. <laughs> so he was a wrestler with the NWA? Yeah, he's a big-time NWA guy. Okay. <laughs> but he worked for Vince for like a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah. So... Normally, this is the point in the show where we start talking about the behind-the-scenes production on uh, on the movie. Uh, if you if you're a longtime listener of the show, or I mean, if you've only recently started listening, you've probably noticed that trend that we spend the first part of the episode talking about how this movie got made, where it came from, what its inspirations were. But you know what? For no holds barred, there ain't shit out there <laughs> about the making of this movie. In fact, if you go on the film's Wikipedia page. Uh, there's a production section. I went on Wikipedia. I was like, oh, finally, something. There's a production section. Uh, they, they can, it's two sentences, and here's what they are. A rumor was started that the short headbanger in a cage in the bar scene was a young Peter Dinklage. The role of short headbanger is actually played by Rick Allen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> that is That is it. So we've debunked a rumor. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> I remember but, the last time when it first came out on Blu-ray, I saw it, and I did think that. And this time watching it, I did not think that at all. Like, I mean, I didn't even think he looked like him. It was just another little person. Yeah. They don't all look the same. I feel like when I watched it the last time, there was, I don't know, like something about it. It looked like him in the face or something. Well, it's but, not him if Wikipedia is to be believed. Yeah. Or IMDb. Somebody started that rumor, though. Yeah. So it was not it. me. Anyway, that's that's it. That's your starting point for production on this. That's all we could find. I, I did find a little bit more with some, a little bit of uh, more digging. But I was about to say, because really the problem is, is uh, we're going to talk about this, it's like really two people were kind of involved in this movie. Yeah, too. mostly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and believe it or not, you know, the movie has now been released on Blu-ray, but there's no big, like, 30th, an there wasn't a big 30th anniversary Blu-ray that put out last year with, like, a retrospective documentary about the making of the movie or anything I believe like it. that. Um, and even searching, I mean, I had to dig pretty deep to find the information I could find on the making of this movie on the internet. But, so, what I've decided to do... Uh, so that we could have a proper episode is just give a little. We're just this is going to be an episode about Hulk Hogan, basically. That makes uh, sense. You know, at least at least what led to him making No Holds Barred. So I mean, what the hell? I mean, nothing matters anymore. <laughs> well, uh, Hogan, uh, not Hogan. Zeus did do a, uh, a episode of Wrestling with Rosenberg with Peter Rosenberg on YouTube, and oh, yeah. I watched that, and it was like a half hour. It's pretty good. He you talk about this about movie this. a little bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, what else is he going to talk about? I mean, now he's in a lot of movies. I was going to say, he says in, in that interview, he's done like 179 movies or he's something. He's done a lot. Yeah. So, whatevs. You know who else doesn't have much to say about this movie? Michael Weldon. No, he doesn't. He does not have a lot to say about it. So, do you want to tell us what he does have to say about it? Sure. <clears throat> Holt Hogan is Rip, the World Wrestling Federation champ. An evil network TV executive, Kurt Fuller, wants him to throw a fight. 
with Joan Severance, Tom Tiny Lister, formerly Eddie Murphy's bodyguard, Jesse the Body Ventura, and Mean Gene Ogerland. The executive producers of the PG-13 film were Hogan and Vince McMahon. The original No Holds Barred was a Bowery Boys wrestling movie. Hogan was in Suburban Commando next. Very notable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that he puts just, I like that he puts the body in quotation marks, but not Mean Gene, as if that's his real name. No, that's his name, man. <laughs> as his mother gave it to him. <laughs> so Hulk Hogan was born as Terry Bollea in Augusta, Georgia in 1953, but he moved to Tampa Bay, Florida when he was about 18 months old and spent uh, the majority of his life there. Can when, I can I stop you right there real yeah, quick, uh-huh. actually? Just, uh, you know, did it bother you at all that this, maybe I should save this, but did it bother you that this Too late movie, now, you're going. Yeah. Did it bother you at all that this was a character named Rip Thomas and it's not just Hulk Hogan? Like, why is Hulk Hogan playing someone different? Mean Gene is Mean Gene. Jesse the Body Ventura is in there as Jesse the Body Ventura. I don't understand what reality this it's movie is. It's WWF. Yep. And it's like, why is he not just Hulk Hogan? A dude's in the red and yellow. and like and Because just, he's Rip. And it's not in the credits. It's not Terry Bollea as Rip Thomas. It's Hulk Hogan. And it's not Terry Bollea as Hulk Hogan as Rip Thomas. <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> it's this, like, movie, this movie exists in a reality that I don't understand in many ways. Yeah. Anyway, that, that bugged me right from the start. Yeah, it's weird because it's like he dresses like Hulk Hogan, only he's wearing blue instead of red, basically. Right. Uh, he even wears the dumb headband. And I don't, maybe it's because there are some fictionalized stuff in this that weren't, because Hogan was already married with a kid at this time. And, Maybe because he's got like a romantic subplot in this movie, they didn't want him to. Be, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, Gary. I'm just spitballing. Like his wife was probably sitting next to him on the couch watching it, and she's going, like, did "Wow, this, when did this fucking happen?" Yeah, I hope he never fucks another person other than me. Yeah, <laughs> we were married in '89. Were you fucking Joan Severance? <laughs> so when he was a kid, uh, he he showed a lot of athletic potential. I mean, when he was a young kid, Hogan was kind of a kind of a chubby guy. <laughs> What are you laughing at? I'm just laughing at because I know what joke you were going for when you said I hope he never hopes or I hope he never fucks anybody it's other Bubba, than me. It's a Bubba the Love Sponge <laughs> joke, and so immediately I just I don't know my mind went off down that rabbit hole of Hulk Hogan's sex tape and yeah. everything we're, else. And it we're going to try not to talk about that too much on this show. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other can of worms, anyway. But yes, it was a Bubba the Love Sponge joke. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about. I guess Google it. Google Hulk Hogan Gawker. Get the whole story. Yeah, or just go to Pornhub.com and type in Hulk Hogan. I guess you probably could. I bet bet you'll see it. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) By it, I mean Hulk Hogan's dick. (laughs) Uh, We have gone off the rail on this. So, Hogan was... uh, he, He started getting an interest in sports pretty early on and became pretty good at baseball. He kind of had dreams of becoming... His teeny wanger. Jesus Christ, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he kind of had dreams of becoming a professional baseball player and, and was a pitcher in Little League Baseball where he actually attracted attention from uh, scouts from the New York Yankees and the Cincinnati Reds. But a, uh, his baseball career was kind of kind of ruined, uh, kind of cut short due to an injury. But it was during this time in high school that he, he began to fall in love with uh, professional wrestling, not necessarily as a performer yet, but just as a fan. I just drove my father crazy to take me to the matches. And when he took me down to the armory the first night in Tampa, that was it. I was hooked. 
I was a wrestling junkie, and I dreamed about it 24 hours a day. Hulk Hogan's got like this life that, I don't know, a lot of people say he's pretty insincere, but you know, he seems nice enough when you see him. In interviews, he does, but yeah, he, he I, well, I don't know, man. I don't know the guy. I just know that he is, if you hear him in interviews, especially back at this time, he sounds very like... Uh, you know, the whole take your vitamins, say your prayers bullshit. But then he said the N word several times in that sex tape. So <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> and, uh, but no, I'm just thinking like starting off here, he's talking about like, yeah, I was going to play for the Yankees or the Reds. Yeah. You know, they both wanted me, but uh, yeah, a lot of this information does come from Hulk's autobiography. So <laughs> grain of salt, I guess. Right. You know, but he was a, I mean, he was a big kid. I mean, that's a fact. Like he was like six feet tall by the time he was 12 years old. And 200 pounds. Like, he was naturally just a big guy anyway. Uh, but, you know, he, he got really into wrestling as at a young age. He idolized Dusty Rhodes in particular. And as he mentions in that clip, he would often attend wrestling shows at the Tampa Sportatorium. And he also started kind of honing his skills as a musician at this time. Like, I guess that was his fallback if he couldn't be a professional baseball player. So he was going to be a rock star. So... He ended up playing fretless bass guitar in uh, several Florida rock bands. Uh, and he continued his musical career all the way into college. He, he was attending uh, the University of South Florida. He was a business major. He thought he was going to be like a bank, a banker. Oh. Uh, he even had a job as a bank teller briefly. Can you imagine walking into a bank and seeing like six foot seven Hulk Hogan standing by? I was picturing that or trying to rob the bank. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, walking in and see this guy back there, he'd probably be a pretty good bank teller to have. Yeah, you're probably right. But he didn't like that. So Can he, I speak to the manager, please? <laughs> he would eventually drop out of college because it was interfering with his music career. Uh, and he did help to form a band after college called Ruckus, a, a rock band that became pretty popular, uh, at least in the Tampa Bay area. And in his spare time, or while he was working on being a rock star, he was also spending a lot of time in the gym. Uh, like I said, he was a naturally big guy, but once he started lifting, like he was enormous. So you can look up. I tried to find any sort of video or anything of Ruckus. I found a picture, but I saw the picture. Yeah. And there's like one picture, and it's him with the band, right? And yeah, and he's all, got the long. He's got the bandana. He's got the long hair, but he is gigantic compared to those other guys. Yeah. It's like these four normal looking guys in this behemoth <laughs> yeah. standing in the back middle. <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird, man. Yeah. I mean, he did stand out. And in fact, a lot of wrestlers that would come into town to play, to do wrestling gigs, they would go to these bars after the shows, these bars where Ruckus was performing. And then a couple of guys named Jack and Gerald Briscoe, who I, I know you know who they are, Gary, but these guys were two brothers who wrestled uh, at the time they were wrestling as a tag team in that Florida territory. Jack's a famous former NWA champion. Yeah, yeah. And they were impressed with Belay's uh, stature and his stage presence. I mean, you like you said, he stood out on stage among all the other musicians. And they uh, they convinced him to give professional wrestling a shot and then asked a famous wrestling trainer by the name of Hiro Matsuda to train him. My girlfriend was in the crowd, and another wrestler paid too much attention to the young lady. I stuck my nose in between the two of them, and there was a little altercation, and that led to the wrestlers asking me to come down for a tryout. If you think you're so tough, why don't you come down and, you know, and I went down there, and uh, they got me in the ring, and then they broke my leg. That that story sounds like crazy, but it's it's not completely unbelievable because you hear those stories multiple times back Especially then. Especially about back, back then in wrestling. There was yeah. no lawyers. There was no nothing, and... 
and actually no part of your training as a wrestler back then was just getting the shit beat out of you to see if you could take it yeah yeah it was like it, nobody was gonna get sued they weren't taking pictures of what happened right. or anything and uh but but what's funny just as a side note i just interviewed a guy named george south who's a was like the enhancement talent for like nwa but he's like one of rick flair's favorite opponents but i asked him about this and uh he described it as an I know this podcast is not about this, but he described it as... It is today. Yeah. He said, uh, you know, his first thing was he went to a school and it was three people and they beat the shit out of him and broke his tooth and like broke a rib. And like he said he literally crawled out. But then the next day he was like, I don't know what else I'm going to do. So I got to go back. Wow. And so he went back and they were all wide eyed and I guess he's serious. But people were afraid back then that you were going to take their spot. So yeah. they wanted to beat the hell out of you. Yeah, They didn't huh. want you to come in and take their job. So after training with uh, Matsuda for more than a year, Balea made his in-ring debut in mid-1977 against uh, a guy named Brian Blair. I think, I can't remember what Hogan was. He It wasn't Hogan at the time. It wasn't Terry Balea either. I think he was called like the Destroyer or something when he first debuted. He also wrestled in a mask for a little while. And I don't mean is that like Mr. America or whatever that bullshit was in the 90s. Remember that? Oh yeah, I do remember was that. Was it Mr. America? Was that Yeah, he was Mr. America. It but was like, like early Hogan in- got fired, so Mr. America got <laughs> yeah, hired. So dumb. Uh, but early in his career, he actually wrestled in a mask for a, a couple of times. But throughout the uh, late 1970s, he would continue to wrestle throughout the Florida Territory, eventually moving to other territories in the Southeast. And it was during this time uh, he, he was actually wrestling at Jerry Jarrett's Continental Wrestling Association in Memphis. Uh, and that's when he adopted the the Hulk moniker. So the story goes, and I could not find a clip of this appearance anywhere on, on the internet. I tried. But he was apparently on a local talk show in Memphis beside sitting beside Lou Ferrigno, the star of the Incredible Hulk TV series. And the host commented how Hogan, who at the time stood six foot seven, weighed 295 pounds with 24 inch biceps. Uh, the host commented how he actually dwarfed the Hulk. So soon after that, Bolea began performing as Terry, the Hulk Boulder. His last name was Boulder at the time. Nice. It's a good good name for a big buff guy. Yeah. Well, he was in a tag team with, um, he was in a tag team called the Boulder brothers and it was him and, uh, the guy who would eventually go to be known as, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, because they were old friends. They were in a tag team together uh, called the Boulder Brothers. So that's where that name originally started from. I did not know that. Well, no. I taught taught the wrestling guy something. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) For those who, you know, are curious, yes, apparently there was a lawsuit involved with Marvel Comics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and apparently they ended up getting some percentage of everything Hulk does or something really? weird like that. Yeah, they apparently do pay them. Well, I know part of... I, I, I read a little bit about that. I didn't know that they paid him, but I know that there was an agreement where like he could never wear green and stuff like that. Oh, weird. And they could yeah. never refer to him as the Incredible Hulk. Now, that may be more serious. I, I read some like comments somewhere where people were talking about that, that they came to some kind of terms on it, that they got a little money out of it. But anyway, so that's how he's the Hulk. Not as some rumors would have you believe. When I was in elementary school, somebody told me this, that he used to come out painted green. <laughs> I don't think that was ever true. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> they not. were actually confusing him with Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, probably. So, Balea won his first 
Professional Wrestling Championship in 1979 when he became the NWA's Southeastern Heavyweight Champion. Look at that crossover. How about that? And it was in that same year that the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, a guy named Terry Funk, who we'd love. Uh, if you're a fan of, I guess, 90s WWE, you probably know who Terry Funk is. He's also in Roadhouse. He is in Roadhouse, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, two two psychotronic appearances by Terry <laughs> Funk. <laughs> He's in a couple movies, I think. Yeah. But he Terry Funk introduced Bolea to the owner and promoter of the World Wrestling Federation, Vincent J. McMahon. That is uh, not to be confused with his son. This is Vince McMahon Sr., for those who aren't big wrestling people and, and don't know that there was. There are multiple Vinces. Yes. McMahon was impressed with Bolea's stature and his charisma, and he signed him on. And it was it was actually McMahon who gave him the surname Hogan. He wanted to give him an Irish last name. I don't know why, but he actually wanted him to dye his hair red, too. Oh, weird. Yeah, and Hogan was like, I'm already losing my hair, man. I'm just going to be a blonde Irish guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Hogan wrestled his first match with the WWF on November 17th, 1979. Had a, he had a pretty successful run with the WWF throughout 1980. Uh, even started his first big feud with Andre the Giant during that time, which culminated in a match at Shea Stadium in August of that year. In 1982, Hogan made his feature film debut opposite Sylvester Stallone in Rocky Three, And that was against the wishes of Vince McMahon, who felt that wrestlers should remain wrestlers and not branch off and do other media. He didn't want them. He didn't want to lose them to other stuff, basically. And this agreement actually led to Hogan temporarily leaving the WWF. My name is Terry. You're a wrestler, not an actor. And you're not going to LS. Yes, I am, Mr. McMahon. I want to do this movie as well. If you do that, you're not going to work for me ever, ever again. He famously said, well, I guess I will not work for you ever, ever again, is literally what he supposedly said to him. I mean, he's technically didn't. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> that's true. Yeah. What Hogan ended up doing is he went to Japan for a little while. He went to uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling for a while, uh, which and you actually, I think, posted or retweeted somebody on Twitter recently. Uh, a match oh, his match. Yeah. In Japan, because the wrestling style in Japan is so much like different than American wrestling, especially American wrestling at the time, which was like in which was big brawler status, which, which is kind of what Hogan has always been as a big brawler, not like a technical technical wrestler. But if you look at that footage of him in Japan, like he's, he is, he's going, he's wrestling, he's actually wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I was just blown away by seeing that footage. It was very agile. Like I didn't know that he could do that <laughs> yeah, because either. all I thought he ever did was a big boot drop, and you know. The leg drop and yeah. yeah, the big boot leg the drop, the big boot and the leg drop, yeah. maybe a body slam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it was kind of wild to see uh, that footage. I, I guess you guys can probably find it somewhere on uh, on YouTube, but just search for Hulk Hogan New Japan. Uh, but he became a big star over there as well. He he became a pretty well known guy over there, and he would eventually return to America. He worked for the AWA, which I think is Vern Gagne's. Association. He got he got in a feud with uh, Jesse Ventura up in Minneapolis for a little while. You know, so well. I guess for those who aren't wrestling fans, we should probably clarify the way that wrestling was back in the early mid '80s. Even it was a little bit different than the way the, the what it is now. Like wrestling at the time was mostly regional. So the WWF at the time encompassed basically the the Northeast America. It was like Maine down to Washington D.C. That was the uh the WWF. I mean, what what was NWA at the time like uh, Georgia? Well, the NWA, Southeast. NWA actually what NWA was was an overarching 
brand that all of these territories belong to. Okay, so NWA and, was like the mothership. Yeah, it was like the mothership for everything. So it was the National Wrestling Alliance, and it was an alliance of all these different territories. Okay. And one thing they would do is like, if anybody independent tried to start up and say they went up to like the Northeast, like senior could call the NWA offices and they'd send all their best guys up there and put on a show and try to put you out of business because they do gotcha. the show the same day. So it's like a wrestling union. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like a mob. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot like that. Like they would threaten you and stuff. So that's that's what was happening. Now around this time is also exactly when that started to fall apart because Vince McMahon Jr. came into power. Yeah. So and- it he Vince McMahon Jr., Vincent Kennedy McMahon uh, bought the company from his dad, who was retiring in the early 1980s, and he kind of had bigger a bigger vision. He had bigger things in mind, and he basically what he wanted to do is he wanted to bring wrestling into the mainstream, and what that meant is he needed to he needed a star, and he needed national exposure. So Vince managed to woo Hogan back from the AWA with the promise of a championship belt. Hogan signed on, uh, and Vince had his star. Yeah, and that was it. I mean, and that's where he was like, we're going national. We're not sticking to a territory anymore. This is going to be a worldwide brand, you know, basically. Or that time, national. But he, you know, this man loved that money. Yeah, he he sure does. (laughs) And... He st- so, but he still needed that national exposure. Like, just having a star doesn't get you national exposure. And he found the solution for how to get national exposure in a very unexpected source, and that was a rising pop star by the name of Cindy Lauper. <laughs> so the story goes that Cindy Lauper found herself on an airplane seated next to a guy named Captain Lou Albana, who was an ex-wrestler turned WWF manager. He wore flashy Hawaiian shirts. He had colorful rubber bands dangling from his like pierced ears and his and, and his, his beard, beard and, yeah. and one on his cheek, which I've never understood that. I don't one. understand that either. Is actually. it is his cheek pierced? I don't <laughs> I don't know. I've never understood that one. I've never seen a close up of how that's attached. We'll but. do some research on Captain Lou and get back to you. <laughs> but basically they they and I will say if you're if you're like our age probably you probably know Captain Lou as the star of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. That's right. He played, well, he was the host and did the voice of Mario on it. Right. So you know who Captain Lou is. But so him and Cindy Lauper are sitting next to each other. They sort of see a mutual, like, camp sensibility in each other that they liked and they became friends. So that would eventually lead to Cindy Lauper hiring Captain Lou to play her father in the music video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which is probably her biggest hit ever. Right. And in turn, Captain Lou got Lauper to come on WWF television to to appear on Piper's Pit, which was a talk show segment hosted by Rowdy Roddy Piper. And on Piper's Pit, they basically invented a rivalry to be settled through a women's wrestling match, which led to a WWF-branded match actually airing on MTV. So there's your national exposure. Vince got what he wanted. Yeah, and this is this is fantastic. All these crossovers, see? I, I now proclaim, officially, wrestling is psychotronic. It Wrestling is kind of pretty psychotronic, <laughs> at least, especially wrestling from this era, I think. Yeah. And... What, so basically what began as an excuse for Captain Lou and Cindy Lauper, these friends, to work together ended up setting the stage for WWF's first pay-per-view event. So the way that this 
television segment worked, and you can find this on YouTube, or of course, I guess if you have the WWE Network, it's probably pretty easy to find. You had a, a segment with Lauper and Captain Lou, and Roddy Piper rushed in and attacked them, and it would lead to a confrontation with uh, with Hogan. And I'm not going to get into all of this because there's a this was stretched out over multiple weeks, and right. there's a lot of information here that's not going to be really relevant to what we're talking about. But it would eventually lead to Hulk Hogan and Mr. T teaming up against Roddy Piper and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff at the very first WrestleMania. So all of this, the Cindy Lauper thing, the Captain Lou thing, it all kind of ended up crossing over with Hulk Hogan. Um, there ended up being a women's match where it, Cindy Lauper did not wrestle. She was a manager uh, for Wendy Richter, I believe. Yeah, I don't have yeah that she my managed notes, but I think she, Wendy yeah. Richter. Yeah. And so anyway, they were in separate matches, but... It all led to WrestleMania 1. WrestleMania 1 brought in 4 million in pay-per-view sales. And at the time, pay-per-view wasn't the, what it is now. You couldn't just dial it up on TV. You had to go somewhere. It was on like closed circuit television. You yeah. had to go somewhere and buy a ticket and watch it on screens in a building basically, like going to a movie theater almost. I guess it's worth mentioning Hogan's buddy Mr. T was in this. Did you say that? I said Mr. T. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I missed it. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, 2 years later, the WWF would reach what I think is probably the pinnacle of its 80s success with an epic rivalry between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant that led to a match at WrestleMania 3. Uh, that event broke the indoor attendance record for sporting events, for all sporting events, uh, Super Bowl, anything. This WrestleMania 3 broke the record and brought in $10 million in pay-per-view rentals. That's the first time I think that the Giants ever been knocked off his feet like that. Look at the look on the face of the champion. He's hooking up, Jess. I don't know if he's got enough left in him. That adrenaline can do wonders. We're seeing what this guy is really made of. What he is. The greatest professional athlete in the world today. Look at this. He's He's For my wrestling fans out here, I do have to say that that was, according to Jesse Ventura, the first time that uh, Hulk Hogan or that Andre the Giant had ever been body slammed. But that is not true. And well, he said it was the first time he'd been knocked off his feet at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they acted like it was the first time he'd ever been body slammed. And because of that national exposure, I mean, that was the legend for forever yeah, until yeah. now in the information age, you can find out like people like uh, the legendary Harley Race. Uh, slammed Andre really? one time. I yeah. didn't know that. I, I thought yeah. it was legit the first time. And Stan Hansen, who was in the No Holds Barred movie, oh, also wow. slammed Andre the Giant. Uh, how about that? Yeah. But that moment, big. I mean, Hulk Hogan was clearly already on his way to superstardom. I mean, his matchup with Andre is basically what drew the majority of those thousands and thousands of people who spending millions and millions of dollars to watch this. Uh, they were doing it to see to see Hulk Hogan. And after this... I mean, Hulk Hogan was a legit international superstar, uh, which meant that he could do pretty much anything he wanted. Unfortunately, what he wanted was to become an actor. <laughs> so according to 
God bless us all. <laughs> According to Hogan's autobiography, No Holds Barred was originally developed by New Line Cinema as a vehicle for Hogan. New Line, New Line Cinema in the 80s, they're, they're a little different than they are now because now, I, I don't know, I think of New Line and I think of like Lord of the Rings, you know. But in the 80s, they were the house that Freddie built. They grew to success based on the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So they were doing kind of lower budget, I guess you could say exploitation movies or genre movies might be a better way to say it. But they were hoping to capitalize on Hogan's mainstream success and not just in wrestling, but also as he was becoming famous, he was appearing on popular TV shows like Saturday Night Live, uh, The Love Boat, The A-Team. So he was, you know, a legit star in the making, even for Hollywood. Now, once Vincent McMahon, Vincent once Vince McMahon uh, got wind of this, he was worried that Hogan might be lured away to Hollywood, so he stepped in and offered to produce the movie himself, uh, paying Hogan the same salary that New Line had offered him, which was uh, reportedly about a million dollars. All told, uh, and there are various sources that have different numbers on this, but all told, Vince put about $20 million of his own money up to make this movie. Yeah, I wonder how that works, because um, on IMDb it says the budget was eight. I've heard everywhere from eight to sixteen. Yeah, and on Bruce Pritchard's podcast, he uh, he has one called "Something to Wrestle With." For what it's worth, to anybody that cares, on that one they do an episode talking about Zeus and No Holds Barred. They just cover historical moments in wrestling. But he says that he he was kind of Vince McMahon's right hand man, and he says that he had heard somewhere around six. Oh, really? Yeah, and he and they asked him what Hogan made, and he said more than one million. Less than $5 million, and that's all he would say. Huh. I mean, anytime you're talking about budgets and numbers and, and salaries and things like that, I'll, it can get a little fishy sometimes. Like, any anytime we've mentioned those on the show, because sometimes you might see a number that encompasses not just the actual production budget, but it might include the budget for marketing and distribution as well. So anytime that we say a movie costs this much money on this show, it's usually with an asterisk next to it for what it's worth i mean zeus in that uh interview i mentioned earlier says that he made two million. Oh, really and yeah he says well just for the movie i or? was about to say but i think that may include he his, his stint afterwards right too. yeah so what ends up happening is that mcmahon and hogan both end up getting credited as executive producers on the film and they hire a, a writer named dennis hacken to write the script now, I looked up some information on Dennis Hacken. Couldn't find any interviews or anything with him about this movie. Believe it or not, he doesn't want to talk about it, I guess. Uh, but Hacken, if you, he had written a handful of films that had gone into production prior to this, and but none that would indicate that he'd be the guy tapped to write a professional wrestling movie. Uh, his previous credits included a uh, 1979 movie directed by Peter Fonda called Wanda Nevada and 1980's Bronco Billy, which was directed by Clint Eastwood, who he would also work with uh, in 1986, although he was uncredited on it, uh, but the Clint Eastwood-directed movie Heartbreak Ridge. I think another thing that's worth saying, too, and, and I know you've got more to say about Hacklin, but uh, or Hacken, another thing to know about Vince McMahon, because this is going to be important in this next bit, is that Vince McMahon has never wanted to be a wrestling promoter. Like, he's never considered himself a re He is like an entertainment. That's like right. why when WWF had to go away, it changed to WWE. It's World Wrestling Entertainment. It yeah. could be anything. And there was a documentary I saw a clip from from the 90s where he's like, I don't produce wrestling. I produce movies, pal. These are all movies. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> that's his... That's his thing. Like, he always seems like he's, when you hear stories about him, like that he's in the country clubs, being the rich guy, but he always feels like there's a, 
a monkey on his shoulder about it being wrestling. Yeah, that like he wants a lowbrow thing. Yeah, like more lowbrow, yeah. which think the no count bar in this movie. He thinks yeah. that that's the rep wrestling has. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so he's always wanted to be more like he's he's at everything. So Hacken is the film's writer in credit only. Uh, according to Hogan, the script that Hacken turned in was so bad that he and McMahon uh, had to rewrite the script themselves. I, I can't imagine the first version of this movie <laughs> if they think it's so bad that this is an improvement oh i was just thinking who is hulk hogan to be like brother i've read many scripts dude and this one sucks <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you something <laughs> we can do better than this so what they did is they hold up in a hotel room like any reasonable person would and they lock themselves in a hotel room for 72 hours hogan and mcmahon to polish it up but then and they're like, hey, we went along. It, it was everything's going great. We're writing it really quickly, but then they hit a snag with the ending. Uh, here's what Hogan says about writing the ending in his autobiography: I was reading Misery, dude, and I was like, I'd love to give that dude a few notes. <laughs> that is not the quote. That's not it. Uh, that's not. That's here's not the real. actual quote from his autobiography: No matter how hard we worked on it, we couldn't get it right. So I told Fitz, "The hell with it." I've got to go to the can. I was so tired that as soon as my ass hit the seat, my eyes closed, and I started daydreaming, dude. And in my daydream, the whole fight scene was playing itself out. You know what I mean, brother? It was great. Uh, so think about that next time you're watching this movie. Uh, when you get to that final fight between Zeus and, and Rip, keep in mind that it was conceived while Hogan was sleep-deprived, most likely on cocaine, uh, <laughs> and taking a shit. <laughs> Well, it's not hard to watch this movie and think about somebody taking a shit. (laughs) (laughs) There are multiple shit references in this movie. Well, you know something, brother? I got a dookie coming on, dude. (laughs) Yeah, that's Vince McMahon's contribution. You know it is. Like, Hogan's got this whole plot plotted out, and and Hogan's like, I feel a dookie coming on, dude. And Vince is like, ha, ha, ha. God damn it, pal. I just thought of a great gag. (laughs) (laughs) I just imagine them in that scene just... The, the, The hotel just looks like the fucking hotel from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> They've been holed up for 72 hours. They're just pouring sweat, uh, cocaine all over the all over the coffee table, and then writing that dookie scene. <laughs> That's true. And let's be honest. They were probably also and just doing... laughing their asses off. They were probably also shooting steroids. Oh, yeah. 100% they were. Because this is like right around the time that that started apparently like when uh, there was a huge steroid trial for anybody who doesn't know, or Vince McMahon almost like went away forever uh, because like just making wrestlers take steroids and all this stuff. But and it's it, funny. In one of those interviews with Hulk Hogan, I found about the making of this movie. They straight up ask him, have you ever taken steroids? He's like, no, he's like, no, I've been offered, but no, I've never taken them. I've got a, I've got a daughter to think about. Like, I, I don't want to go have, yeah, have you a should be that clip. <laughs> Literally, like, four years later, he's testifying in front of a grand jury that, yes, he did take steroids. <laughs> and Vince McMahon gave them to him. Yeah. <laughs> so Tony That Tiny, goes back to us thinking, to talking about how Hogan in most interviews is full of shit. Right, yeah. exactly. Tony Tiny Lister uh, claims that he had uh, three months to get ready for this role, and he said he went from 285 to 305. So he he gained 20 pounds of muscle in three months, he said, when he started working with the WWF. <laughs> so that's all we're... And that's you just all, let your brain work yeah. on that first. <laughs> so Tony T- Tiny Lister, uh, who 
Gary mentioned that that is the next member, the next big cast member that had to join this movie. So with with Hogan as the lead, they had to find somebody who would look intimidating next to him. And Tiny Lister ended up being the guy. Lister is six foot five. He's got a scarred eye from being born with a detached retina, which doesn't look as intimidating in the movie. It just looks like he's cross-eyed. It makes him look kind of goofy. I mean, he can't help it, obviously, but... Uh, it doesn't make him look in- intimidating, <laughs> but still, he had appeared in a handful of movies and TV shows prior to this, but he saw Zeus as sort of his breakout opportunity. So when he showed up for the audition, he went all in and he auditioned in character as Zeus. He shaved the Z into his head. He got shoes with lift so that he would actually be taller than Hogan because he was actually two inches shorter than Hogan. And just before going into his audition, he started doing a bunch of push-ups and just slathered himself in baby oil so that he would be all all glisteny. He says that in, in that again in that interview that he read for the audition, but like the audition specifically, I just thought this was pretty fantastic and not a good way. Uh that the audition it, on on paper it just said a black guy. <laughs> and so and they were like what it just said a black guy and and he very matter of factly is like well yeah he's like because like a white dude fighting a black dude's gonna make more money than just like a white dude and a white dude i mean black, rocky two four. black guys <laughs> i mean like, what about rocky four yeah that's two white dudes yeah yeah but i don't know did rocky three do better rocky four is better. or one and two a one <laughs> that's a white guy and a black dude yeah yeah oh, so, good point i don't know so he just i just thought that was interesting <laughs> another interesting little quote from that too was he said you know when he got signed he got signed to also do some stuff with wwf which we'll talk about but he was like i don't know i don't want to touch no dudes but <laughs> when they told me how much i was gonna make i was like all right who i gotta sexually assault oh wow now, now he is like an even like a very hardcore born again Christian evangelical. He uh, made an appearance on Benny Hinn's show where really? Benny, Benny Hinn lays hands on Tiny Lister, like Benny Hinn, who could, if he wasn't already making way more money than any other entertainer could make, he could join boxing and just knock them out by touching their face. Yeah, just touch their head. Uh, you know, I've seen that done in person. Have you really? I've seen Benny Hinn in person. Wow, multiple times. Awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's, I've got I had a weird childhood. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, Tony Lister, uh, Tiny Lister appeared on his show, and Benny Hinn like lays hands on him and tells him that like he's going, God's going to use your acting career to spread His word. And I mean, Tiny Lister's not exactly a big star, so maybe maybe we're still waiting on that. Uh, as successful as Kirk Cameron, though, I'd, I'd argue. <laughs> so, maybe. <laughs> God's working his way into the movie business. God works, God works in <laughs> mysterious ways. Uh, Tiny Lister does seem to have pretty fond memories of making the movie, although he did have at least one injury on the film that he talks about. He and Hogan had developed a safe word for when they were sparring, and that safe word, it's actually a phrase, was free James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know. That's another problematic thing, technically, from this movie. I mean, because yeah. you know, James Brown's pretty infamous for... Uh, <laughs> I, I think this movie is infamous for is like, beat the shit out of women. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, here's what Hogan says about that in his autobiography. We both love James Brown's music. So, if he was choking me too tight, or I was choking him too tight, we'd say, free James Brown, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but in the final match, when they're filming it, Hogan still managed to break Lister's nose. So Lister like looks up at him. He's got blood running out of his nose. And he's like, what about James Brown? <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't the only co-star that was hurt during the filming. Uh, Kurt Fuller 
uh, a great character actor who plays Brell in this movie. Uh, he did an interview with a with the AV Club a while back that sort of encompassed his entire career, but there was a section on on No Holds Barred. And he told the AV Club that, this is a quote, there was a scene where Hulk is supposed to shove a check down my throat. You know the scene, right? The, yeah. The, like, I don't want to be here when that check clears. <laughs> Yet another dookie joke in this movie. <laughs> do, do, dookie. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he says, nobody told him that on movies you fake it. In wrestling, they really do a lot of that stuff. But he shoved a check down my throat, and I and I couldn't stop him. I literally thought I was going to die. <laughs> Guys, guys, he could shove a check down my throat, guys. <laughs> and Fuller seems to be, in that interview at least, kind of embarrassed of this movie. I mean, and I get it because his performance is super way cartoony and over the top. Uh, at one point on the set. It's another he, great movie. Over the top. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, he asked the director, who we haven't even mentioned yet, uh, but a guy named Thomas Wright, he asked the director if he was going too big, to which the director replied, Kurt, you're standing next to a guy who's six foot nine and wearing red spandex. You can't be too big. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say he was, because Kurt Fuller is, I mean, he's giving it 120% in this movie, but it's pretty fucking goofy. You know what, jockass? Go take a leak. <laughs> jockass. You jockass! 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 <laughs> My favorite is the take a leak line, though. Yeah. Take a leak! It's like, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, what does jockass mean, for that matter? And he says <laughs> it, like, know. eight times throughout this movie. <laughs> including right before he's electrocuted to death. <laughs> Stay away, you jockass! 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 In uh, one of words, in famous one, last words, famous last words, and, and electrocuted to death in one of the many, many scenes in this movie that are is just filled with sparks. There are a lot of sparks in this movie. You have the the uh, we, Hogan just rampages at one point and kicks over a TV and it explodes into a bunch of sparks. Right. <laughs> and they throw a, a I forget what they throw, but it, they throw something that hits the big Z, the big neon Z, oh, yeah. and it's just sparks everywhere. Oh, my what favorite was, though is where he takes the, the barbell and he throws it into the video camera and nails it perfectly. Yeah, what like, were right the sparks the budget on this movie? Oh, it was a lot. It's a lot. Okay, think about all the scenes and the uh, fights that Zeus takes place. You know, yeah, like where he's in like those. You know, whatever little uh, welding areas with sparks constantly <laughs> flying. <laughs> we need more sparks. More sparks. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I need sparks. So in that same AV club interview. Uh, Goldberg's entrance makes so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> in that same AV club interview, uh, Kurt Fuller says, uh, quote, you know, there are some things you just can't unsee. And there are some movies you can't get off IMDb, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> I love that. I love that scene with Kurt Fuller too. By the way, that Hogan is also just. I, I watched this, and thought he just fucking showed up in spandex to like this meeting. He shows but, up everywhere in spandex. I know, and then you see that clip of that interview for like the Good Morning yeah. Show, and he's just in spandex, and it's the same outfit that he wears. Like in like it's like a this V neck sleeveless spandex thing. That's just how. Hogan must have dressed at the time. Unless he's wearing really short shorts. Far too short. <laughs> Inappropriately short shorts. He loves uh, the shorts and a tank top. But yeah, I mean, Rip, when he's not 
in the ring in this movie. Like when it, him, he's going out to eat at this little his little hometown diner where he stops a robbery, which has nothing to do with the plot of the movie other than to, I guess, impress the girl and his <laughs> his uh, black girlfriend that works at the <laughs> so diner. I was like, who is that lady? <laughs> is she fucking him too? She wants to. That's the thing. She's, she this wants, my man! She wants <laughs> on that dick. <laughs> She's like calling him her man. She is all about him. I don't know. Diner waitress is hot for if Hogan. She's like, if I wasn't married, mm-mm. <laughs> now, you'll notice in a lot of this behind-the-scenes stuff we've been talking about, we didn't have a lot of interview clips like we did on the early part of the episode where we found some stuff regarding Hogan's early career. And that's because, as I mentioned earlier, there there haven't there's never really been a big, like, behind-the-scenes documentary or anything about this. There are not a lot of interviews out there where people are talking about this movie. It's almost as if uh, a lot of the people involved in the making of this movie, much like Kurt Fuller, would like to forget that it ever happened. (laughs) The closest thing to a retrospective that I could find, I found this this morning uh, on YouTube, is this eight-minute promotional video that the WWE created about seven years ago to promote this newly remastered high-definition DVD of No Holds Barred. And in this video, it has it features uh, then cur- the, some of the then-current roster of the WWE, including John Cena and Kofi Kingston and Matt Stryker and Brodus Clay uh, and Caitlin. You know, who, nice. Yeah, you know, uh, these all these superstars at the time talking about how much impact the film had and how important it was, but they're sort of being sarcastic about it. Right. And they're cause like the Miz definitely says Hulk Hogan was the greatest actor of all time. Nice. <laughs> so they're definitely being facetious. It's kind of funny. And they're sort of just making fun of the movie the whole time while also trying to sell it to people. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I did, however, and we, we've referenced this a couple of times, and so we'll play a clip here in a second, but I've, I found a couple of old interviews from Hogan at the time of the film's release. I found a really great uh, appearance of his on the Arsenio Hall show, where he does do some wrestling moves on Arsenio Hall, uh, which he should not do. He put a, Richard Belzer in a headlock once. Do you, you know that story? Yeah, I saw and, that. like put him in a sleeper hold and actually knocked him out. And I saw a clip of that. I watched a clip of that this morning. He straight up... Richard Belzer, who had a, a talk show at the time, he is on the floor out cold. And they're like, oh, he's just sleeping. Mr. T's on the show with him. They're like, oh, he's just sleeping. He'll be fine. Hulk Hogan cut off the circulation to his brain, and he <laughs> got knocked out. Richard Belzer ended up suing Hulk Hogan for $5 million after that. Jesus. I don't. They settled out of court, so I don't know what he got, but yeah. Insane. So, yeah, anyway. There's a lot of side stories to this. There's plenty of side stories with Hulk Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the clips that I found was from CBS This Morning, uh, where he was coming on to promote the movie, and they decided to play the super weird, awkward clip where Hulk Hogan, in his little short red shorts, uh, pulls Joan Severance. I guess this is after the robbery thing, and she's starting to fall in love with him. She like he like pulls her onto the couch with her and kind of like tickles her and stuff. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> but that's the clip. Out of all the clips they should show, I thought could, that same thing. The show of this movie, they could have showed any of the wrestling scenes, any of them. Uh, <laughs> that's the clip they chose. To show. They really wanted to dig into Hulk Hogan's romantic side. I, I, you know what I really feel like is that they decided that uh, they wanted to show Hulk Hogan's 
Hulk Hogan's acting ability. Maybe that's what they were trying to do. Show another <laughs> side of this. Anyway, they're like, oh, look, he's legitimate. This is a romantic scene. Yeah. So anyway, here's a clip from that interview on CBS this morning. Hulk Hogan joins us this morning. I told you he had a romantic scene, Harry. You don't like that we played that, do you? Well, you know, that's a whole other side of Hulk Hogan that the kids are going to see. And that is a romantic side of Hulk Hogan, but that's as far as it goes. Just a little bit of nibbling there with Joan Severance. She's uh, my girlfriend in the movie No Holds Barred, and she comes on pretty strong when she finds out what a nice guy the Hulkster really is. I have to make a pretty strong stand to keep her away. Are you worried about that, though, being perceived as too nice? Well, no, you know, because for the last five and a half years, I've been yelling and screaming at the kids to train, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and if you don't eat your vegetables, I'll body slam you. And now, you know, with this movie, it gives me the artistic liberty to show the kids that after you're wired like a maniac and you're trying to get good grades and trying to make the football team or slam dunk a basketball, the other 23 hours of the day, it's okay to be a real person, to be cool. And what's so funny is everything in this world goes around and it comes back around. So if you're real positive, good things come back to you. And in this movie, you'll see a whole new Hulk Hogan that's vulnerable, sensitive, sometimes in trouble, and almost romantically caught in a pretty rough situation. This but the real Hulk Hogan. This is the real Hulk Hogan. This is the real Hulk Hogan, dude. He just likes to get a little bit of a nibble. A little bit of there. nibble. Just a little nibble. He says he uses that same line in the Arsenio Hall. Uh, interview. Just a little, Just a little nibble. Just a little uh, what nibble. A, that's fucking that's kind of creepy. It's kind of creepy, but not less, I mean, not more creepy than uh, him in the boardroom, like staring at her the first time, where she is like straight up a piece of meat and he just like wants to he's eat just, like, her. licking her lips. And <laughs> yeah. Licking his lips, rather. Yeah. And he's just like, mm, mm. There's, a lot, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of grunting and growling in this <laughs> movie. The majority oh. of the final scene is just him and Zeus. Like grunting at each other. Well, Sam's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're grunting at each other because he thought about this while taking a shit. <laughs> that's, that's the dialogue that came to him at the time. That could be. <laughs> I get it, man. Joel Severance, she looks pretty good, but she Yeah, uh, she was in that um she was in a Richard Pryor movie. Naked. What movie? No, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Oh, is she in like Lady in Red or something? No, it's not Lady in Red. It's Gene Wilder is her like acting mentor though. Oh, like, really? From what I saw, yeah. No, I'm curious, but I do know that she's in See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Nice. Yeah, she's got a nude scene in that. If you want to see, I think her. she's in. Uh, <laughs> just, just so you know, I love. I mean, I, I'm just I, saying, if you want to, she's comfortable. It's available. Uh, her normal bed clothes. Uh, for which she doesn't want to touch a dude are pretty provocative. <laughs> Basically, a broad panties. This is, and he's wearing uh, just a red speedo. Yeah, <laughs> red speedo, as if that's normal. And she's in movies like she was in a black uh, movie called Black Scorpion. It also had a sequel, Black Scorpion Two. But this is for that weird time in the '90s where, like, she was also in the Red Shoe Diaries. Who a lot of you out there, I know black you know what the Red Shoe Diaries oh, yeah, are. I do. Uh, no, dude, she's... Man, I've never heard of this uh, Black Scorpion movie. Look at the description of it. A, a female, female Batman with a strong story, intriguing characters, and good action pacing, and several opportunities for sex. <laughs> <laughs> Man, look at that. That's like a straight up... I'm looking at the, the poster, 
And this female Batman looks like a straight-up dominatrix, is what she looks like. Yeah, I think that's what they were going for. So, also, while you should take a step back sometimes when analyzing No Holds Bart. By the way, before I get there, have you? did you worry that we weren't going to have an hour to talk about I No Holds Bart? <laughs> <I laughs> we were just ripping it up. No, no pun intended. <laughs> Rip it. Rip it, brother. I'm, try, I'm trying to do the hand thing. It's really hard. <laughs> to do the his hand signal it's like it's like the like hang loose thing but with a little extra knuckle <laughs> yeah got that little extra knuckle uh and he does it everywhere fucking everywhere yeah he, like shoves he, that check in that dude's mouth and all yeah, the way out ribbit. like <laughs> <laughs> just like shows it it's so weird but uh where was i going Joan severance Joan severance uh, oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, sometimes when you analyze this movie, you should take a step back and think about well, who Hulk Hogan's audience was at the time. So it's obviously children. Now, they made this movie PG-13, but you know you could try to explain away some of the goofiness of the film. Sure. But uh, because like, oh, it's for kids. That, that dookie joke's going to play well. And uh, But then it's PG-13. But and there's like questionable sexy stuff. Like, yeah, like, the obvious jer- jerking off reference or something. Oh my god, <laughs> where he's doing the push up yeah. and then she just moves the curtain, and it's just his ass going up and down <laughs> right. in like very small Don't wait shorts. Up for me, way <laughs> more of Hogan's ass than I ever needed to see. Right, uh, although not as much as many people have seen. If you have seen that Bubba the Love Sponge video, <laughs> you said we weren't going to bring it up anymore. I mean, but I, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and uh, besides that, there was a, a lot of foreplay right before that with the uh, toothbrushing scene. So, oh know. yeah. Where they're just like brushing teeth and mm. just like mm, very oral, just like <laughs> leaning against the wall. And it's just it's literally like ten minutes of them brushing their freaking teeth. <laughs> it's weird, like, <laughs> thinking about each other. Uh, oh, what a doer, but I don't want her to get upset with me if I do. <laughs> <laughs> New Holds Bard was, which released. by the way, also for a kids movie. Sorry, but uh, there's definitely a scene where uh, Fuller has hired someone to rape her. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's not okay. No, that's rude. <laughs> Zeus walks into the bar and a waitress asks, like, uh, excuse me, sir. And he chokes her and throws her. Throws her into a a barrel of peanuts. And when (laughs) Fuller gets mad that uh, she's not fucking Hulk Hogan. (laughs) How dare you? Per his plan. Yes. He smacks her across the face. It's because she's actually fallen in love with him. Yeah. Yeah. So No Holds Barred was released on June the 2nd, 1989. It came in number two at the box office its opening weekend. Not too bad uh, against Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was number one. Which went on to make like 400 and something million. Yeah, this movie didn't have good word of mouth. Uh, no Holds Barred. It did good its opening weekend because it's Hulk Hogan, you know. People were curious. They wanted to see a movie starring the Hulkster. But uh, bad word of mouth and, and bad uh, critical reception. Did not help it come week two. Uh, it's currently sits at eleven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But you know who did like it, Gary? Who's that, Justin? The Macho Man Randy Savage. That's who. Do tell. <laughs> right now, let's take you to Tony Schiavone in an interview conducted just inside the theater lobby. What was your favorite part of the movie? Mm-hmm. Whatever oh. he thinks is completely different. Yeah. Okay. Surviving, this is the time that I tell it like it is. No holds barred. Was 
Fantastic, yeah! I rate it real, real, real high. Sky's the limit. Sensational, Sherry, what do you think? Sky's the limit, and the hog bar definitely a number one box. Big question for the entire world right now. Sensational, Sherry, help out. Who was the real star of the movie? Pick one guy. Who'd you pick? Zeus! Zeus, you're right! She's right! Sensational, Sherry is right. It was Zeus! Who is this guy right here? Goofball, it should have got beat up to begin with. Right, then we can do that, That's can't we? Right. We got it. Mm-hmm. No holds barred. Great movie. Yeah, the star of the movie, I'd have to say, Macho Man the Style is Joe. That clip, by the way, uh, according to Bruce Pritchard, was taken from the Avon Theater in Stanford, Connecticut at the red carpet premiere. Oh, in Stanford, Connecticut. Stanford, uh, Connecticut, home of the WWF. Yeah, so they put on and uh, couldn't get any other stars from the movie except for uh, he. I mean, he was hoping for Joan Severance, but uh, the only other star from the movie that shows up was uh, uh, Fuller. So yeah, yeah. No, wait, no, the people making the movie didn't want to show up to the red carpet premiere. No, and in that clip, Macho Man's dressed in his ring gear. Well, it, again, he seems like a guy who kind of does that. <laughs> <laughs> in Hogan's autobiography, uh, he did he does mention that in its second week of release, that No Holds Barred actually beat Ghostbusters 2. Now, while he is not technically wrong, Ghostbusters 2 didn't come out until No Holds Barred was already out for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, technically it did make more money at the box office in its second week than Ghostbusters 2 did because Ghostbusters 2 was not out yet. That is a weird thing to say. <laughs> and, and by the way, just as not being a complete douche here, or we're not being a complete douche, couple of douches here, by not talking more about the director. I know that's typically where we go, but Thomas J. Wright doesn't have a lot I mean, nothing like major. You would have said a lot of TV shows, a lot of really well-known TV shows. Yeah, like he's like a X-Files, journeyman director. Uh, Millennium. Uh, he's done like I think he was on Alias. He I did. He, he did a couple episodes of Alias. He did a lot of episodes of NCIS. Quite a few episodes of Supernatural. Like, like eighteen episodes of um, Supernatural. And, and which Fuller prior, and uh, Mark Pellegrino are both in, by the way. Who's Fuller on on Supernatural? Uh, I know he, who Mark Pellegrino. He is. plays uh, one of the archangels. Pellegrino's Lucifer, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's and, Jacob on Lost, and, and Fuller plays he's Rita's like, ex-husband on Dexter. Like he's a yeah, you know him now. Yeah, you've had to have seen him, but yeah, Fuller he plays like those one jobs of the based on this or something later on. Yeah, but Mark uh, Mark Pellegrino did not get all those roles based on th- this movie is not in his his like show reel. Arguably, yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Arguably, Fuller is the biggest star out of all of these people. Yeah, I would, like, say, I would agree. That guy's everywhere. He's been at everything, yeah. Uh, and a couple of his cronies, like one of, one of his cronies, uh, the guy with the glasses, uh, oh, yeah. he's in a lot. I can't. I don't know the actor's name, but he, you see him in, as a character actor in everything. That's true. So all in all, all, in all the film grossed uh, about $16 million at the box office, which if... McMahon did put up $20 million. That was not even enough to recoup that. Although there are other reports that say that based on what McMahon put in and marketing and everything, that he came out like even, didn't make any he money off of it. He says he broke even. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Vince is also the kind of guy who does would not admit to any sort of failure. You know, they also tell this story, uh, at least in that Pritchard podcast, about that 
you know, when they tried to release it, he he did this whole movie under like Shane Production Company was the name named of it. Named after his son. <laughs> yeah, named after his yeah. son. And uh but then theaters refused to carry the movie. Like they weren't gonna carry it. And then uh, New Line had to step in. But New Line had to step in because like Paramount and all these other companies apparently were gonna like if you carry this movie, we'll blackball you. It's almost uh, what we're talking about with Why, the NWA. I wonder, or, though. They just were like, he's got to go through legit distribution channels. Oh, gotcha. Or something. Gotcha. Yeah, so in, so New Line, ended, who was originally going to produce the movie, ended up stepping in just as a distributor, basically. Right, right, exactly. So, uh, which probably cost McMahon some money as well uh, because they would get certain a certain take of the box office. Right. Plus you have to also factor in the fact that Hulk Hogan was off TV for basically the better part of a year. Yeah. Any they're, wrestling fans that are curious. Star. Yeah. Like that, that would have been the time around WrestleMania four where like macho man won the world championship mm-hmm. and uh, Hogan was in like a tournament for like one match and then disappeared for yeah. a while. And it was, uh, it was all because of this movie huh. at that time. So and there was an episode of Monday Night Raw in 1997 where Vince McMahon joked. He said, "Hogan promised me, mate, you could probably do a better, a better Vince McMahon." No, uh, I'm gonna. Uh, yeah, he said, uh, "Hogan promised me that this movie lost money. He was going to return his salary. I guess the check is still in the mail." <laughs> <laughs> this sounds a little like your Hulk Hogan. Honestly. I know. I I got confused. For a second. <laughs> But this was this was during the Monday Night Wars. If you're not a big wrestling fan and aren't familiar, uh, Hogan had left the WWF at that time for rival company WCW. Which, by the way, I swear that Brell is based on Ted Turner. Oh, that that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. and they filmed this thing in Georgia, right? Like, so they, oh yeah, yeah, and so like it was around. Atlanta and stuff, and so that makes a lot. Of, I mean, obviously, that would probably be for like the tax breaks and crap like that. Well, yeah, but, yeah. But I, I bet I guarantee you, Brell is based on on Ted Turner. At least that's somewhat. so funny. That, As, he's like an evil TV executive, you know. I mean, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Like yeah. he's just got to have Hogan. And yeah, all of that stuff. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, but at the time that Vince made that joke, uh, Hogan was. Uh, Employed by the WCW, and he was trying to promote a new movie called Assault on Devil's Island. I think in that same clip, like Jim Ross says, like, no holds barred should be called, like, no profits return. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A classic Jim Ross quip. And that Macho Man clip that we played earlier wasn't just for shits and giggles. Like, that was actually setting up a future feud, uh, which saw Tiny Lister in in character as Zeus, uh, which further muddies whatever the hell reality this <laughs> what? movie existed right he teamed up with macho man to face hogan and his old friend brutus the barber beefcake i like how you said macho man there the macho man what no well, you said it like he teamed with macho man well that's how <laughs> that's how he would say it <laughs> they teamed up against hogan and brutus the barber beefcake at 1989 SummerSlam. And then there was another match later on where there was a pay-per-view thing they did later on where it was like, no holds barred, the movie, the match. Yeah, it, it went, like, the feud carried on, and, like, they went on to, like, Survivor Series yeah. and fought, and then, yeah, they were supposed to be supposedly Basically building, the like, WrestleMania. Like, they were going to do WrestleMania six, like, Hogan versus Zeus or something, but uh, it didn't play out that way. Like, Zeus didn't know a lot about wrestling, so according to stories, that's kind of where... 
that went. But yeah, they they ended up at a no holds barred pay per view event, which was like the movie, and then a pre filmed match. Yeah, <laughs> afterwards, so it was Bruce Beefcake and uh, Hogan versus Zeus, or yeah, Zeus and Macho Man again in a steel cage. again in a steel cage this time. Steel cage, no holds barred match. Yeah, Hulk Hogan, the World Wrestling Federation champion, Zeus, the Human Wrecking Machine, the final encounter, no holds barred. The first time in history, the match and the movie on pay-per-view. It's the greatest tag team in sports entertainment history. Hulk Hogan and Buddhist the Barber Beefcake collide with the Macho King Randy Savage and the human wrecking machine Zeus inside a steel cage where there will be no holes barred. That's the match and of course the movie. One of 1989's biggest hits, starring the World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan. Plan to see it on Wednesday, December the 27th, exclusively on pay-per-view. Well, Hogan had already won back the title, though, at WrestleMania Five, right? Didn't he, he beat Macho he Man, beat Macho to, Man to, to win it back? Yeah. So by the time this movie came out, he was promoting it as the WWE or WWF champion, right? It's weird, too. Yeah, I think so. And what's... You know, this was in like December that that pay per view happened. So the movie yeah. was like debuted in July. You said, right? Yeah, yeah, June or July. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I don't know. Is this like Vince McMahon trying to recoup his losses or probably, something? And like, yeah. pay pay per view to get this movie. Yeah, probably and then watch this match. I mean, what do you think about this movie? I mean, it, we've made fun of it, but like, to me, it's. I mean, it's bad. I mean, there's no question about it. This is a bad movie uh, all around. But to me, it falls into that fun so bad it's good kind of territory yeah well it, it gets into that well you don't want the movie like a lot of times like when people are trying to make a bad movie it sucks a little bit but like this is that like these people you believe are 100 like all in they're on- behind what they're doing and they're just not good at it and i think a big part of that it stems from the script which is bad and most of the performances are kind of bad uh like I, it's funny though you say that because it's hard to imagine anybody thinking of like the the Dookie scene, which we'll definitely play a clip of it on the show if we haven't already. Hell, play it right here. Even if we've already played it, play it again. <laughs> <laughs> What's that smell? Dookie. Because it's it's like the. It's the most well-known scene from this movie, probably. Jennifer was watching with me up till this point, and then that scene happened, and she was like, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> it's only 20 minutes into the movie. She gave up on it that quick. Yeah, she was like, I can't. Hogan, like, burst out of the uh, top of the limo. Why was that limo? I, what was driving me nuts this time was, why is that limo swerving all over the road yeah. and running into things? I was like, he's just kicking the doors and shit. Like, let him. He's that strong. He's going ape shit in the back, but I mean that's not affecting that driver. It is. It's it's the momentum of how hard he's kicking the limo that's making it swerve. <laughs> yeah. All right. But it's hard to think of somebody writing that dookie scene and thinking that they were writing something good, you know? And no, it's not. It's, it's Vince McMahon. It's true. I mean, Vince McMahon's written. You know Vince McMahon is still in that like Whatever is up with him, he still thinks like the word dookie is fun. It is funny. <laughs> but 
<laughs> Nobody says it anymore. We've said it like 45 times already yeah. on this episode. But also, like, I mean, and he, especially back in the, dub, in the like, Attitude Era, like, there were a lot of, like, pee-pee poo-poo jokes and <laughs> dick jokes and all kinds of, like, very immature stuff. That sort of seems to be Vince's thing, as is, like, writing shit last minute like they apparently did on this movie because he definitely does that on wrestling he just like takes the script and rewrites the whole damn oh thing. yeah like up till like 15 minutes before it goes live like yeah. the, he's still rewriting it probably will until he dies so yeah. i don't know zeus had some fun stories about by the way that moment that time in wrestling where he got like dragged into the wrestling world about uh all that interview i was talking about he says uh like he was he was feeling pretty good and confident. Like, he was a pretty big dude amongst other big dudes, but he still, he's like, I'm from Compton. I'm a badass, you know? And, yeah. uh, he's like, but he's like, but then there was one time I was walking down a hallway and uh, there was another dude coming down the hallway. And uh, that guy was Andre the Giant. And one of us was going to have to move and lean against the wall. Wasn't Andre the Giant that day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, and then, oh, and apparently uh, one time when he was in the shower, having to shower after one of the events, Jake the Snake put uh, his snake Damien in the shower with him. Not his dick. <laughs> he didn't also call his dick Damien. I don't know. I've, I can't confirm nor deny that. <laughs> uh, 1989 was an epic year in movies. I mean, we did a whole series on this. Last year, and we didn't even like scratch the surface when we did our summer of '89 series. Because in addition to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you had Back to the Future Part Two, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, we mentioned Ghostbusters Two, Star Trek Five, uh, and freaking Batman. Yeah, know, the biggest movie of the year. Like that's some pretty tough competition that no holds to Black barred. Scorpion. I'm sure that was '95. I'm just saying it led to it. Oh, yes. <laughs> but this movie had some pretty tough competition already, is what I'm saying, you know? And it's. Uh, if only those movies didn't come out, this movie maybe it would, be a would have been an Oscar winner. <laughs> it would never have turned out. It still wouldn't have been a good movie, regardless, but maybe it would have made a little more money. Yeah. Because this movie, it's got all these typical, like, 80s, especially sport, 80s sports movies, like trademarks. You've got, like, the. The all American athlete, the 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 older wizened trainer, you know the uh, the unstoppable monster of a bad guy. You've got the corporate villain. You've got the uh, the kind of workaholic female who doesn't think she has time for romance until she's you know, her heart melts because the Hulkster is such a nice guy, or maybe it's because of his shorty shorts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you get it. You just get like a peak of that Hulkster upper thigh. <laughs> You're sold. Oh, man. And, you, and there's a workout montage that you mentioned earlier. Well, Rocky uh, obviously great. influenced a lot, but uh, the, you know, there's an article on, I want to say the website's like Pro Wrestling Stories, but it's it's very in depth about how Stallone shaped wrestling. And it's, uh. and it's about how like Rocky Three happened and he got the Hulkster in there and Thunderlips. Yeah. And just the showmanship of it all. But then also, like the style of a Rocky match kind of became the underdog story. Yeah. And, and the WWE style of a match. Yeah. And uh, like this guy coming back and I mean, yeah, that, that's Hogan's yeah. whole he career. He looks good. And then he gets beat down a little bit. That's literally it, every match Hogan's yeah. ever been in. And then he does his Hulk up thing and then he comes back and beats you. all the way to the music. Like they, they talk about, you know, like I think there's guys like gorgeous George and the Freebirds that had some like music that they played when they came out. But then 
like Hogan was one of the first two that he used Eye of the Tiger. That was the theme from like Rocky Three, and uh, that Hogan was, used Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, that was his first entrance huh. theme, and uh, so he used that. But then also, especially at the end, because you got to have that victory song, like oh, yeah. as you're winning the match or whatever, the, the end music plays, like the excitable. In this case, it was No Holds Barred. Written by Jim Johnson, by the way, who writes like or used to write all the WWE theme songs. Wow, that song sucks. When your back's to the wall, what will your answer be? Will you run for the door? Will you run out on me like it's hard? It's no hope for No hope It's no hope I honestly, I miss the time when movies ended in a theme song. I do too. Uh, I think every movie should have to do that. Every it should be contractually, <laughs> you should be obligated to end your movie with a song that is the title of the movie. It was written specifically for yeah. this movie, titled this movie every time. Even if your movie is like Batman Part Two or whatever, uh, have a song called Batman Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> a Batman too. Oh <laughs> uh, man, that No Holds Barred song though is it is something. It, but I I do I, I've run across across that a couple times here recently when we've I can't remember what else I watched recently that that had that. But it was another song, another movie around this era, like late eighties, mid late eighties, uh, that ended in a song that was just the title of the movie over and over. It's kind of fun. It is kind of fun. I miss it. Yeah. Uh, Although, I mean, I guess it wouldn't work for every movie, but I would like, I would like for the lighthouse to have ended with a lighthouse song. <laughs> it's the lighthouse. Done as like a, like a sea shanty. Yeah, that would have been good. See, that would have been perfect. I mean, you mentioned Rocky and I do think that like those movies are, is Rocky three and four are pretty formulaic, but they take themselves a little more seriously. They're more watchable. Like this movie it's almost as if they were wanting to make a Rocky type movie because it's got a sim- very similar structure. Although Rip is never really seen as like an underdog, well, which fu- sort of makes Zeus less intimidating. Well, it's funny you say that because I, I did jot down some notes from uh, three or four of the reviews, like a few of the reviews that I read about this movie because I just went on a rampage with that. And, uh, Ebert, unfortunately, our boy Ebert never reviewed this film. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Probably fortunate for him, honestly. <laughs> but uh, it would not have been a good review. Richard Harrington for the Washington Post, a quote from Hill, says, uh, Thanks to the script that seems to be a collaboration between Hogan's publicists and Hollywood hacks who somehow missed Rocky and its progeny, we are led to believe Hulk is a much-beloved world champion. First of all, he's uh, wrong. It was just the publicists. Uh, and charmless, stupid, and badly made. No holds barred makes Rocky look like Citizen Pain. Citizen Pain. <laughs> That's my new wrestling name. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. <laughs> Desmond Ryan of the Philadelphia Inquirer says, for months now, Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro have been sitting in their dens and nervously clutching their Oscars. They knew that an unprecedented challenge was looming: the arrival of Hulk Hogan in his first starring role. <laughs> what, a, what a what a dick! I love that. Michael that Wilming of the shade. Michael Wilmington, L.A. Times is the last one. Hogan himself has an appealing screen presence, like a gallant teddy bear who goes berserk every ten minutes. <laughs> Oh man, but that's the thing is like this could not 
Like it's it's like they were making a Rocky movie and then they just were like, yeah, but it needs more doo doo jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and every character needs to act like they are a cartoon. Like literally, nobody in this movie acts like an actual human being would ever act. Nobody emotes or or speaks like a normal person. Everyone is like dialed up to eleven, uh, and it's it makes for an entertaining watch now as like a so bad it's good kind of movie, but. As like an actual just movie, it makes everything just seem so dumb. What? What are you talking about? Like Hogan hanging out with like twenty eight year olds, like in a, <laughs> like just holding them yeah. and just like coaching them through. Wrestling. Who let this man on? You're the a playground. superstar. You're great. Oh, or the entire sequence in that bar is just a big cartoon in the uh, the. What's it called? Oh, the no count, no count, the, the no count bar, no count bar, where it's just like it feels like this is how Vince probably views people from the south. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does. That's that's the other weird part is I saw in one of those reviews that they were even talking about like, wow, it's kind of weird. It seems like he's portraying the wrestling fan base, like <laughs> just disgusted with them. Yeah, and this is and this also is- what. The, the cover of the DVD says, no ring, no ref, no rules. All of those things existed. Yeah, they're all of them. <laughs> in, like, the last match is I a, mean, maybe rules, you could argue, because they do end up fighting up into the stands and then, like... And electrocuting a man to death. Yeah, and potentially killing Zeus in the movie. I don't know. Yeah. He, like... We never know what really happens Gives him the old axe handle, yeah. and he falls, you know, all the way down through the ring. Yeah, we never find out what happens to him. He just collapses. Yeah. And why is it an octagon? I think he died, though, because in that scene, he has a little trickle of blood coming out of his mouth. Oh. And also, when Fuller dies, he has a little trickle of blood coming oh, out of his mouth. How about that? So Hogan murders two people in this movie, <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah. Technically, uh, Fuller kind of murdered himself. Yeah, he, he, just, like, he backed, backed into, into the, the thing, shit he was wrecking. Still. Yeah. Uh, still, two men of de- two men are dead at the end of this debacle. Too bad. Uh, you know, and, and to this day, Hulk Hogan is still... Yeah, he's still trying to achieve those movie star dreams. He's starting a bunch of stuff. I should say, it, it this does look like a show that would have been on USA at one point. So that's why I think Thomas J. Wright was like he nailed it here. Because man, Stug- I mean, yeah, because he is a has had a very successful career, but Hogan's career never took off quite the way he wanted it to. Now, he's done quite a few movies, but I, saw, I, I saw would his not latest, call him a movie star. I saw his latest 2012. He was on Howard Stern and said that he was approached to play Randy the Ram originally in The Wrestler. Really? Yeah. I uh, find that hard to believe. Aronofsky uh, has completely denied that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and said, no, I specifically wrote this Yeah, <laughs> for... <laughs> For our boy Mickey Rourke, so I, I that that never happened. Yeah, can you imagine? Like no. Jesus Christ! I mean, but his his next movie appearance after this was actually Gremlins two. <laughs> nice, but that's just kind of a cameo. It's yeah, like, it's, yeah, he's it's just a fun for like five cameo. seconds. Uh, but his next starring role was the one that Michael Weldon mentioned, nineteen ninety one. Two years after this, it seems like so much longer in between the two, but it's only two years later. But that was. Uh, Suburban Commando, which also features uh, The Undertaker. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd. We should talk about the movie one day. We, I mean, there's no way we're not going to. I loved that movie when I was a kid. I did, too. Yeah, I mean, You're I'm, a dead man, Ramsey. I'm sure it's terrible now. I mean, it was terrible then, but I didn't know any better because I was nine years old. No, it was just fun back then because you like wrestlers and seeing Hulk Hogan in a movie, it was just kind of neat. Yeah, it was a time-traveling commando Yeah, in the suburbs. 
Right. <laughs> There's a picture of him holding that kid up on a skateboard with one finger. Oh, man. His other film appearances included uh, Mr. Nanny. Yeah. Uh, the TV series Thunder in Paradise, which I, I that. loved when I was a kid. I remember that. It, had a, it was like a... It was like Night Rider, but a boat. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> That's basically was what. Wasn't the boat called Thunder or something I like that? I think so, yeah, yeah. But it was like the super boat. And it only lasted like a season, but then they did like three, like two or three um, like TV movies yeah. that were like sequels, like Thunder in Paradise 2. Like, the, like I guess season one was Thunder in Paradise, and then Thunder in Paradise 2 was like a TV movie. And they did like, I, I want to say they did up to four of them. Nice. Uh, he did Santa with Muscles. Oh, yeah. Oh, Can't forget Santa with Muscles. I did. Or, of course, Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. Oh, my God. Remember that one? I do remember that. He was the that. bad guy in it. Yeah. That's anyway, crazy. so that's uh, that's how Hogan's movie career has gone. Yeah, he's, he's killing it. His personal life, well... We've referenced it. <laughs> yeah, we, that's about as far as <laughs> it's about as far as we need to go. I mean, that. he did have let, fair is fair. He had a hot reality TV show for a while. I mean, it was pretty successful. Oh, it was very successful. And uh, so he's made his money. He uh, won that lawsuit against Gawker after the sex tape was revealed. Fifteen million dollars. Yeah. Although Hogan was so in debt at that time that that only put his personal like. Net worth at eight million dollars. By the way, that's a fascinating story for anybody out there who's just curious. That story, Peter Thiel, uh, who is a mega rich dude who started like PayPal and stuff. Yeah. I think uh, Gawker outed him as gay, and he held a grudge against them. And literally, there's a book about it written by a guy named Ryan Holiday, and it's fascinating about how this one kid figured out how if you wanted to bring down Gawker, this is how you do it. And he kept pestering Peter Thiel until Peter Thiel gave him the meeting and he laid it out and was like, all we need is a guy. And Hogan just happened to be that guy. Oh, wow. That they were like, this is the one. Huh. And uh, Peter Thiel completely funded Hogan's whole, like, uh, you know, justice system stuff, like yeah. the lawyers and legal stuff and everything. That's just wild. to destroy Gawker. Man, what a story. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a movie one day, probably. 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 Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's all I got on No Holds Barred, Gary. We talked about this way longer than I thought we would Same. be able to. I thought this was going to be one of those short episodes, but turns out we had a lot to say about Hulk Hogan. Yeah, well, you know, he's one of the greats. He opened the doors for many greats, like The Rock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, technically, John Cena, I mean, John Cena and The Rock are out there. Batista. Dave yeah. Batista's those those there. big guys who are kind of, they they were known more for their charisma than their actually wrestling skills, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, Hogan is definitely not on the level, probably of any of those, but uh, he's... You mean wrestling-wise? Yeah, well, or acting-wise. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Probably, yeah. but uh, he's, uh, you know, it definitely opened it. And, and Vince McMahon got his wish somewhere along the way because now WWE has WWE Studios, and yeah. they are constantly pumping out some bullshit movies well, they do you can some, watch. They do some... <laughs> Cool stuff every now and then. They had fighting with my family recently, they, that but was they also popular. did like um, I th they they've done some work with. Well, I, I wouldn't say they did good stuff. Like they've been attached to some cool people. I, I'm, I'm specifically thinking of like the Soska sisters who did See No Evil two for them, and now okay. they're they're doing like the rabid remake and you know so, yeah although yeah. their experience working with WWE films did not seem to be a pleasant one for them. Yeah, well, and to be fair, I mean, WWE Studios like produce 
some garbage films at first, but maybe that's all part of working your way into. Well, a lot of their early movies were also wrestler vehicles. They were made to be vehicles for their wrestlers, like like that Triple H one tri- where he drives a school bus. Yeah, that's or like, like that's like the one I think of every time too. <laughs> or like the Marine Six. Oh, I don't know why. I or would the, think Marine of the Marine Two. Any of the Marines? Yeah, there's but there is like six of them out there. Number six stars not only the Miz but also. Shawn Michaels. Oh, good. We should watch it. We should. We'll just do a series on the Marine. If you guys want that, you just let us know. Yeah, that could, maybe that should be part of our um, Patreon one day when we decided to do <laughs> right. uh, Patreon. Uh, the, I, I guess, I mean, technically WWE Studios, as it exists right now, their first movie was uh, The Scorpion King. Yeah, I guess that's true. Then they did the rundown and Walking Tall because they were just doing movies with The Rock there for a while. Hey, man, I like the rundown still. Hey, the rundown's great. Anyway, I got nothing else to say about this, so let's talk about what we're talking, what we're going to discuss next week. Well, this party don't stop, Justin. No, it's still, we're still wrestling. Yeah. We're still, let's say we're still ready to rumble, Gary. (laughs) Oh, spoiler alert. (laughs) Next week, we're going back to the year 2000 to celebrate, I guess, the 20th anniversary of this bullshit movie. (laughs) Starring David Arquette and a whole lot of wrestlers from the WCW in the like late 90s. So tune in next week to hear all about David Arquette and wrestling, how he eventually became the WCW World's Heavyweight Champion. Uh, he's still and, wrestling. And he, yeah, he's appeared in the NWA yeah. recently. Crazy. So. <laughs> uh, if you want to watch uh, Ready to Rumble with us, uh, it is available to stream on Stars if you have Stars or if you have the Amazon Stars add on. Uh, it's on DirecTV if you have a DirecTV uh, subscription. Or if you need to rent it, it's like, everywhere Perfect. so pretty easy to find you won't regret it you might but <laughs> <laughs> you might regret it but you'll at least have more you'll at least have fun i i admittedly have not seen this movie since it first came out same i've seen i saw it then and haven't watched it since so i'm excited then. we'll see um, I, I don't either. remember it being good then and i had less discerning taste than i do now i literally remain I, I, that's not a word <laughs> I literally remember that it has Sting in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I think and the gold- triple-tiered cage at the end. Ooh. Oh, and uh, Oliver Platt, right? Oliver. Yeah, and and uh, James Conn's son and Rose McGowan. Perfect. I but mean, there are other wrestlers like Goldberg and DDP are in it. Yeah, great. I think Joey Pants is in it. Perfect. So I'm sold. Yeah, we're down. We're watching Ready to Rumble next week. Please join us. You're stuck at home in this fucking quarantine anyway. And let, of course, this episode won't drop for like another week and a half. So maybe this will all be over. Probably not. Probably not the way things are looking. <laughs> Probably not. But you're stuck at home. Might as well watch some shitty movies. And then we'll get back to maybe talking about good movies after that. I don't know. We'll see. I, I can't remember what's on the schedule. Part honestly, of the fun but... of this show is we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the good and the bad. That's what we're here for. So. Uh, where can you be found on the internet, Gary? I am at this is Gary Horn. Yeah, and follow uh, this is the NWA at NWA Pod. Yep, that's Gary's uh, at the NWA at pod. the N- the NWA Pod. Yeah, just like we're at the Psychotronic Pod. No, we're just Psychotronic Pod. There's no Fuck. the. There's no the. Uh, well, <laughs> that would have been smarter. I think I thought I was trying to do the same thing, but it's but. okay. The NWA Pod makes sense. So. Uh, you can find Gary there. He's on all the same podcast. Whatever, wherever you're listening to us right now, you can find him there right now. Yeah. Uh, he's doing all kinds of interviews with wrestlers and stuff. It's really cool. So he's also got a YouTube channel for the NWA pod. Yes, I do. So look up. This is the Check NWA. Check it out. And we're working on some uh, YouTube content 
to throw up on uh, f- for our podcast YouTube, especially during this whole everybody being stuck at home phase of, in history, uh, trying to find some fun stuff for you guys to do while we're uh, at home and participate along with us. Beautiful. Gary. Oh, you already said this is Gary Horn, didn't you? I did say this is Gary Horn. I'm Justin underscore Bishop. We're at the psych at just psychotronic pod <laughs> everywhere. Uh, until next week. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Be excellent to each other. Jockass. You jockass! <laughs> Go take a leak. I'm about to. run wild in title matches and yeah you've seen hulkamania run wild in tag matches but now make sure you go to your video stores and put your order in for my brand new movie no holds barred that's right hulkamania coming into your own home with no holds barred what you gonna do when the greatest movie of all times runs wild on you how's that for a slice of fried gold